This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast, the podcast that makes Cambodia look like Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> this is episode two of RoboCop 1987 versus Predator 1987. So why are we doing this podcast? Because some damn fool accused you of being the best there was. <laughs> Jason. What's the matter? The CIA got you pushing too many pencils? Huh? Had enough? <laughs> Make it easy on yourself, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. All right. Stick around. Thank you for not smoking. All right, the RoboCop was released July 17th, 1987. It finished first at the box office. Not mm-hmm. a great week at the box office uh-huh. because you had a re-release of Snow White. Okay. You also had Jaws the Revenge <gasps> came out the same weekend. Oh, did Jaws the Revenge do well? Jaws the Revenge kind of did well. <laughs> we need to talk about that. In fact, let's talk about that here in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Guys, a preview in just a couple weeks, we will be beginning our worst of 1987 series where we compare Jaws for the Revenge versus Superman for the quest for more money. I mean, the quest for peace. <laughs> uh, if you need to brush up on those, now's the time. Yeah. Okay, let's talk casting for Robocop. My friends call me Murphy. You call me Robocop. We mentioned that your first call for RoboCop is Arnold Schwarzenegger, even though RoboCop would look ridiculous. I mean, he'd be massive. That wasn't going to work out. Plus, he was doing Predator. So the next call they make is Sylvester Stallone. Naturally. Same problem as Arnold Schwarzenegger. Just going to be too darn big to put in that RoboCop costume. Right. So then they make a phone call to Armand Asante. Okay. So later, those two guys would be in a movie called Judge Dredd. Yes, that's right. And... Judge Dredd is the character from the comic books that they gave to Paul Verhoeven to say, this is what we want our RoboCop to be like. Really? Yeah. That's fantastic. There you That's go. That's a great nugget right there. There you go. Tom Berenger is also called Peter Fonda, actually made a play for this role. This okay. is so interesting to me. He shows up at the studio one day, he's like, hey, how about me? And they're huh. like, No. <laughs> Uh, they also thought about Lance Henriksen. Okay, wait. So Lance Henriksen yes. was supposed to be the Terminator. Yes. But didn't get that. Right. And was supposed to be Robocop. Yes. But didn't get that. Right. He's also Bishop in Aliens. Wow. You got kind of a little trifecta right there. Yeah, all right. And in fact, he didn't get the part. Hold that. We'll talk about that here in a second. Okay. Okay. So ultimately, they give the part to Peter Weller. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? Stay out of trouble. They liked him because he's lean. Well, they liked him because he was lean, and they liked him because he was cheap. <laughs> he wasn't like a super well-known actor at the point, but he had had enough screen credit to get a following, and the following was just where they needed it. It was in the sci-fi world. Uh-huh. He had just done a movie called Buckaroo Banzai. Right. You and I had talked before we started recording. Neither one of us are fans of that movie. I, I haven't seen that movie since probably the 90s, maybe even... 
Yeah, maybe even the 80s. I think I watched it because of RoboCop. I was like, oh, that's the guy from RoboCop, and I'll watch that. And it has Jeff Goldblum in it and a few other guys that are pretty John big John Lithgow. Names. Yeah, John Lithgow. I remember hating John Lithgow's character in that that's one. So weird. It wasn't something that turned me on at the time, but I, that may be one of those movies that if once I go back and look at it, I can appreciate it again. It's been well, too long. Good luck, because I watched it not too long ago. I thought it was terrible. <laughs> Okay. But I know people love it. So. Right, right. All right. And then finally we mentioned Rudger Hauer, right? But he and Verhoeven had had a falling out, and Rudger Hauer's like, screw that. I'm not working with him anymore. That's, yeah, it's crazy. Then, for the part of Dick Jones, they hire Ronnie Cox. Fellow executives, it gives me great pleasure to introduce you to the future of law enforcement. It's a great casting call because Ronnie Cox has played nothing but nice guys, right? Yeah, he's Detective Bogomil from Beverly Hills Cop. He, well, I was thinking he's the guy that plays in the dueling banjos with the inbred guy on the porch. Well, that's true. He does that as well. Yeah. So he, but he, again, nice guy, nice guy, like a rule follower, right? Love him. Right. And this is the opposite. Dick Jones is the opposite of that. Yes, absolutely. And he loved it. He loved the idea of playing a villain because he felt like he could just be as evil as he wanted to be and was completely okay. And it's perfect because you look at him and he's got a nice guy, clean-cut guy look going, but then whenever he whenever he shows you the dark side, you're like, "Oh, oh my." He goes right from taking a dump in that stall. <laughs> To rubbing conf- that guy's face. Yes. <laughs> there is no hand washing. Grabs his hair. Yeah, it's very Don't f. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Don't f with me, especially when I haven't washed my hands. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you have Kirkwood Smith. I am not a RoboCop. Kirkwood Smith plays Boddicker. Right. He's been in a bunch of stuff. I always think the 70s show. I, I think he's hilarious. He's great in the 70s show, yeah. right? I knew him first from Dead Poets Society. Oh, yeah, the mean dad. He was the mean dad. Yeah. He was also kind of seen as more intellectual guy. So uh-huh. for him to play the sleazy, cocaine-dealing, smoking, you know, sleazy bad guy. Yeah. The glasses that they gave him to wear in that one were deliberately to make him look like Henrik Heimler from... Uh, wow. Nazi Germany. That scene when he confronts and kills Bob in his house with the hookers and the drugs. And yeah. he just walks in and he's like putting his gun together. And the guy's like, whatever you're getting paid, I'll double it. He just doesn't even phase him. He's there on a mission. He makes that scene where they kill Murphy. Oh, yeah. I mean, he is the guy that drives that scene from beginning to end. You probably don't think I'm a very nice guy. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> Buddy, I think you're slime. (laughs) See, I got this problem. Cops don't like me, so I don't like cops. You got the other guys laughing, and it's all just this big joke. And so it's this beautiful... dying laughing. It is this beautiful clash between guys hysterically laughing while also doing the most horrific violence upon the hero of the movie. The first time I saw that, it was so disturbing because he's got the shotgun. He's waving it around. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, he's not going to do this. 
He blows his hand off, and then they shoot him a thousand more times. Right. And they blow his arm off, shoot him in the head, and then they're still trying to save his life. I'm like, that guy's dead, people. <laughs> he, he dead, baby. Yeah. All right, here's the one that's going to blow you away. You that, ready by for the this? way, is exactly what Caleb said. He's like, are they kidding? Are they kidding right now <laughs> yeah. with the shocking? What did they, are they really think? They shot him in the head. That dude is Swiss cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny to think about. Who got shot more? Murphy? <laughs> <laughs> the, the executive at the wrong place, wrong time in the office? Right. Or Sonny from The Godfather? I mean, they all got blasted a billion times. Right, right. Okay, so you ready for this? Stephanie Zimbalist from Remington Steel was yes. originally cast as Lewis. Remington Steel, we're back to Pierce Brosnan again. Yes. John McTiernan and Nomads, got it. Okay, jumping forward, Remington Steel, I got it. Well, she would have been a good one. She's very attractive. Right. Yeah. So here's the interesting thing about this. We, you and I were talking about this. Yeah. Remington Steel had been canceled. Right. So Stephanie Zimbalist is free to make movies. Okay. okay. So what happens? Pierce Brosnan is then hired to be the next James Bond in 1986. So that's right after Roger Moore. Okay. That's not after... No, it's not. Timothy Dalton. Okay. Okay, so follow me on this. All right. Yeah. All right? Yeah. This is such a... An incredible thing. Pierce Brosnan was supposed to be James Bond after Roger Moore gave it up after A View to a Kill. Okay. Okay? So think Pierce Brosnan in The Living Daylights. Wow, yeah. But here's the deal. When they hired him to play the next James Bond, there was this incredible swell of interest in Pierce Brosnan. Well, the Remington Steel people had a clause in their contract that if they decided to change their mind, they could. And so once Pierce Brosnan had all this interest because he was playing James Bond... The Remington Steel people said, you know what? I think we will go ahead and make another season of Remington Steel. Wow. So they pulled Pierce Brosnan out of James Bond, and they pulled Stephanie Zimbalist out of RoboCop. Oh, my gosh. So they killed the movie careers for a time of both of those people. Yes, they did. Because Pierce Brosnan didn't come in for like another 10 years. GoldenEye was in 95. Wow, yeah. So, yeah, that's basically almost 10 years later. It's crazy. And Stephanie Zimbalist... Uh, did she do anything after Remington Steel? I don't think so. Wow. Wow. Okay. So she's out. <clears throat> she like she was in as Lewis. Yep. And now she's out because they pulled her back into Remington Steel. Yep. And so then they hire... They hired Nancy Allen. Glad to know you, Murphy. So Nancy Allen, I remember as the mean girl from Carrie. That's what everybody remembers her from. Yeah. Right? So here's the interesting thing about this. Nancy Allen's dad was a New York cop. Okay. She was talking to the director about why she should have this part. Uh-huh. She said, my dad was a cop. We always knew in our house that it went number one, partner, number two, family, number three, himself. Wow. We knew that his partner was the most important person in his life. And so that's what I'm going to bring to this role. Wow. That Lewis and Murphy are the number one people in each other's lives. And then they made her cut her hair. They didn't want anybody to think, well, Lewis and RoboCop ought to have a romance. Yeah. And so they said, like, cut your hair short. You're not looking sexy. There's no romance. We're not doing that. And then we have our man Miguel Ferrer, who plays Bob Morton. I don't know anything that he has done other than he was in the TV series, The Stand. The guy's awesome. Yeah. He passed away a few years ago. Did he? That's too bad. Miguel Ferrer. By the way, when Nancy Allen showed up for the first day of filming, yeah. she walks in. She's like, okay, get a lay of the land, figure out what everybody's doing. And they're filming the outtakes for the TV show, It's Not My Problem. This is the guy who's like, I'll buy that for a dollar. Right. Yes. He's there with the two boob girls and <laughs> the cake. and The boob girls? Yes. Okay. <laughs> We've had our shots. <laughs> yeah. And she thought, what have I got myself into? Yeah. 
Yeah. Dan O'Hillary plays the old man. Yeah, he's an actor from way back. He's a major character in the franchise. We never get his name. He's just the old man. Just the old man. In fact, he's kind of the good guy in the first RoboCop. Eh, okay. I mean, you know. I mean, he's... Neutral. <laughs> he's still the guy that after the guy is violently <laughs> murdered there in the office, his first response is, I'm very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> that man just got shot 146,000 times. They're calling in for an ambulance. <laughs> they're going to do something. Yeah. And then and then Dick is like, is a glitch. A glitch? <laughs> right. We get that fixed. It's no problem. <clears throat> we called our old man Boner and A-Hole. But there is always respect. Here's a story for you. Okay. So Peter Weller, they're shooting this in August of 1986. Okay. In Dallas. It's going to be warm. Okay. We're two and a half hours away from Dallas. It's late July. My car read 104 today when I drove over. Yeah. It's, it's been freaking a hot. Particularly hot summer this summer, but it was probably still pretty dang warm down in Dallas back in the 80s. It's, it was ridiculously hot, like super hot. They said Peter Weller lost three pounds a day. Yeah. In the suit. And the funny thing is, is that he had trained like with a mime coach. Uh-huh. And he had worked on all this miming, you know? Yeah. Then when he got the suit on, he realized, I can't move at all in this thing. Yeah. Like, I, I am stiff as a board, C-3PO style, walking around. I'm having trouble. So, you know who designed his suit? Mr. Rob Bottin. Mr. Rob Bottin, who we've talked about a couple times now. Yeah. Rob Bottin from The Howling. He did Howling, he did The Thing. Yes. Both of which we've covered. Check those episodes out. They're great. So uh-huh. he comes in to help out Paul Verhoeven make the RoboCop costume. Paul Verhoeven has no experience in science fiction whatsoever. Right. But he's also a major control freak. Yes. And so when he sees the design that Rob Bottin has done, he's like... Nope. And it's like, okay. And he redesigns. He's like, nope. And again and again, just rejection after rejection. Right. Finally, they get it and they're like, this is horrible, but let's try it. It doesn't work at all. Right. And he, Paul Verhoeven has to go, you know what? I was wrong. You were right. Let's go back to the first costume. <laughs> so by this time, Rob Bottin is like, are you kidding me? And so they were super super mad at each other after this movie like yes. we we're talking to each other but the movie was such a success that when they decided to do total, total recall, recall they decided to team back up hey by the way you and i did an episode of total recall with our good friends over the 30 something movie podcast so actually if you're listening to this go over to the 30 something movie podcast listen to their entire library but also be sure and check out the episode we did on total recall with them Paul Verhoeven would get together again with the writer of RoboCop to do a movie 10 years later called Starship Troopers. Yes. Starship Troopers was based upon a novel that was written by another guy that we talked about during our Thing episode, Robert Heinlein. That's it. Robert Heinlein was the guy who, when Philip K. Dick got in tax trouble, he said, I'll pay your taxes for you. That is incredible. Never had met the man before, but loved his work and said, I'll pay your taxes for you. You know what else? While we're on the subject, Paul Verhoeven has done Basic Instinct, which everybody in the early 90s saw. If they were a teenage boy, they sure did. If you could get in, you (laughs) saw that. Yep. And he also did a movie called Showgirls. I was reading about this. I I went off on that sidetrack. I I went down that hole, if you will. And they're (laughs) saying... They're saying that Showgirls has become a cult classic. I can't believe it. I I refuse to believe it, that there are people out there who are choosing to watch that show. I I just, I don't buy it. Okay, listen. Before we get, I mean, we're getting off on this a little bit, but... (laughs) 
You and I are studying up on Jaws the Revenge and Superman 4. Yeah. Two of the worst movies of 1987 for sure. And ever. <laughs> and ever. I just did a podcast with our friends at a film by on Under the Cherry Moon by Prince, Ooh, yeah. which is terrible. Yep. We talked about it and how it compared to Howard the Duck, yep. which was awful. Yep. Those four giant piles of crap don't combined hold a candle to the turd that was Showgirls. Right. And Showgirls was a movie that I walked out on. Jaws 3 was another movie that I walked out on. The movie that you walked out on was Last Action That's Hero, right. which of course was directed by John McTernan. Yes. Starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. And Shane Black was there for the after party where they were like, well, that was pretty terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there's also a cameo of Sharon Stone in that movie, and it's terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Okay. Okay, so do we need to talk special effects on RoboCop anymore? The only thing I want to say more about the suit and Peter Weller and RoboCop. Yeah. So it was hot, uncomfortable. It didn't work well with his acting. On top of all that, Peter Weller's being a pain in the butt because he's making everybody, you know, do this method acting thing where he made Verhoeven call him either Murphy or Robo (laughs) before he would move, you know? And Verhoeven had kind of, I mean, he's a, an anger guy. He's got a temper thing. And he finally had had enough of the complaining about the suit and the heat and all this stuff. So he fires Peter Weller. Wait, he fires Peter? He fires Peter. Peter Weller. Okay, go ahead. Peter Weller's like, well, fine. I'm tired of walking around this suit in Dallas anyway. So Verhoeven decides he's going to hire Lance Henriksen. Well, guess what? The million dollars that they spent on the RoboCop suit doesn't fit Lance Henriksen. <laughs> So they're like, uh, guess what? You've got to call Peter Weller and make this right. Mm-hmm. And so Verhoeven actually, hat in hand, goes back to Peter Weller and says, will you please come back? Listening to Paul Verhoeven talk, I get the impression that it's pretty common thing in his life that he throws his fist down, throws his foot down, whatever is like my way or the highway. But then just give him a few weeks and he'll be like, nah, I was wrong about that. I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. He, he, he has the ability later to realize the error of his ways. Well, it's one of the things he learned about in America. He said in Holland he could yell at everybody and then go to lunch with them. <laughs> right. Over here, people took it personally. Yeah, it's a cultural thing. Yeah. Okay, right. before we get off the special effects on RoboCop, okay. I have to say that it was a special effect that caused me to want to go see this movie in the first place. Okay. And it wasn't the RoboCop special effect. All right. It was the guy who got thrown into the vat of toxic waste. Oh, man, we got to talk about that. I saw that in Fangoria magazine, and I was like, I got to go see this. It is an incredibly disturbing piece of video history, of movie history, to see that guy hit the toxic waste and come out with his flesh melting off of his skin, hobbling along, begging for help. He's got his hands have like melded into some sort of hoof finger things. And then sure enough, the car's coming along and when it runs him (laughs) over, he splats like a water balloon all over the windshield. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh my, what an amazing effect that was. Yeah. Like instantly, as soon as he hits that toxic waste, he becomes melting man and then he liquefies when that car hits him (laughs) gross which you and i talked about prior to recording great effect great impact very memorable the worst effect in the movie is when dick jones is killed he's 
shot and he falls out of the window and you have this weird it's like a stop motion marionette with giant arms it's i don't even know what they're thinking what are they doing there it was really bizarre it was like claymation or something and the ed 209 (laughs) the stop motion that you see with that is so obvious that is definitely a thing that doesn't hold up over time it didn't bother me back then but today i'm like ooh, e this is a little rough you know what else is weird about that? I still I still pick it over CGI, but maybe looked not a little Clash of the Titans. Yeah, uh, but a lot. Yeah, so he couldn't walk down the stairs. Yeah, and he ends up taking a step, falling down, and he's on his back, squealing and like he's a pig. Squealing like a pig. Deliverance, Ronnie Cox. <laughs> Thanks. There, there you, go. you go. Keep going. Yeah, <laughs> but I remember watching that, going, "Why would a robot squeal like a pig?" You know? Right. Well, it's just it, weird. And it roars like a lion it when does. it's about to shoot that guy too. It does. I think it's funny. So that scene, they bring the guy up to the front, and they're like, hold the gun in a menacing manner at this thing. And it's like, you have 20 seconds to comply. Drop your gun. Mm-hmm. In the script, it's very clear that the reason why the Ed 209 doesn't stop is because that the carpet in that office is so lush that when he drops the gun, it doesn't make a noise. Okay. You actually hear a guy in the background go, he didn't hear it. Oh, okay. And so he's like, you got five seconds to comply. The guy's like, ah! Yeah. And then they blow him away. Right. But what a memorable scene that was. Yes. So we talked about Robocop's suit. I got one more effect I want to bring to your attention. Okay. And this blew me away. So you know when the guy, the councilman's going crazy, he's taking the mayor hostage. Oh, yeah. And then Robocop is enacted to go take care of this terrorist situation here. You mean the guy that they promised to give a uh, (laughs) sucks, an SUX 6000? Yes. With a a blah punk? Yes. Yes. (laughs) And I want my old job back. And I want a recount. And no matter what the results are, I want a parking spot. (laughs) Yeah, that guy. Yeah. So, there is a... Quadraphonic blah punk, though. Too bad. Nuclear (laughs) Lush would be jealous of that quadraphonic blah punk. Okay. So there's an effect in there where Robocop is looking through the walls and he sees the heat signature of the guys inside. Very Predator. Very Predator. Very Predator, right. Well, if you look really closely, it's digitized. They added a little filter to it. Mm -hmm. But it's basically a bunch of naked people that are painted (laughs) to look like heat index, right? That's hysterical. And when you look at it, so when I I read that, I went back and looked at it. I'm like, holy crap, those people are naked. Naked people being painted. painted. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's crazy. That's great. So that's a great, let's throw back to the special effects on Predator now. Okay. So the infrared lenses that they were trying to use didn't work well for the jungle scenes. Yes. And so they had to they had to combine two cameras basically. They had to film the same scene with two different cameras just at the perfect like like they had a guy in there with a protractor yes. making sure everything was exactly the same so that you got one that's giving you the jungle and one that's giving you the heat signature of the guys that are walking around and then they blend those. Keep in mind this is 87. We don't have computers doing a whole lot of stuff mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. So they melded those two images together so that you knew what was going on when you were looking through the eyes of the Predator. Which, by the way, another great job by John McTernan on this one of not showing you the shark, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Because you don't see him 
you just see through his eyes, which is exactly what Spielberg did with Jaws. And so you know he's there. I mean, the moments that you get with him, you get the dorsal fin of this kind of fuzzy thing moving through. Which, so good. Which, again, that was a guy in a suit, right? It was a guy in a red suit. Right. And so what they would do is they'd film that guy in the red suit because the red was the strongest contrasting color with green of the jungle and the blue of the sky. And so they could take that and replace that red color whenever they did the film because green screen blue screen sure. not gonna work right so they used the like a chroma key to film it and they would film it again with a different frame and so when you put those two images together you had still the jungle but it was bent as though it was bent around the guy in the red suit it's so effective too yeah. the invisibility the cloaking of the predator right it's awesome and then you've got the predator who's looks intimidating when you first see him anyway right but then Later on, there's another reveal because you get that mask taken off and you realize, oh my gosh, that's one ugly mother. (laughs) (laughs) So... Talk about the Mandals. Right. So I mentioned before they had that we had Richard England who had designed this horrible, horrible suit, right? right? And so they're like, well, we can't, we can't use this. And so they hire a big, tall actor to play the part, but they need someone to design a monster for them. And so who do they go to? Of course, Stan the Man, Stan Winston. Yes. And so Stan is flying in an airplane working on a Rastafarian-style monster. If you look at the hair that... Yeah, totally. That, that the Predator has is this very dreads, reggae kind of guy, right? So it's the Rastafarian monster. He's drawn pictures of it as he's flying with Joel Silver on one side of him and Jim Cameron on the other side of him. And as he's drawing, James Cameron looks over and he's like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm designing this monster for this new movie that Joel's doing. And he's like, James Cameron's like, you know, I always thought it would be cool if there was a monster with mandibles. And Stan Winston has the little light go on. Yeah, it's a terrible idea. I don't think that's a good idea at all. Let me just go ahead and take care of that. When Jim Cameron speaks, you ought to listen. Man, oh man. It's such a cool effect, too, because, yeah, he's chasing him around. He's got that cool Predator helmet. It's like Darth Vader. Yeah. And he takes off the Darth Vader helmet. Instead of being a crusty old white guy, (laughs) you have a scary monster, right? Yeah. What the hell are you? And the the mandible and the roar and the mouth. Oh, it's so so good. Right, and the fact that he's seven foot two doesn't hurt either. Yes. Hey, I got something for you, real quick. Before we move off of actors, okay. I thought this was interesting. So, I mean, you've got manly men, right? Mm-hmm. These guys are super buff. They're super tough. They're all alphas, and so. <laughs> They would get up at real early in the morning to work out. It became a competition to see who could look the best and look the biggest. Carl Weathers said he would get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and he would go lift before they got up, uh-huh. and they would never see him in the gym, and they thought, man, this guy's just really natural. How in the world is it? And he's like, <laughs> I wanted him to think I was just naturally cut up. My orders were to get somebody and who could crack these bastards. So he cooked up a story and dropped the six of us in a meat grinder. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention. On April 25th, 1986, they had to stop production of the movie Predator. Do you know why? Um, it's a royal wedding, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Arnold Schwarzenegger married Maria Shriver. Yeah. They say production stopped. They did some second unit stuff. But he flew back, got married, honeymooned for three days before returning to the set of Predator. It's funny because John McTernan talks about this. You know, they... 
they get a certain budget for a movie. And at some point, they use up all of that money. Right. And so you have to stop because you have no more money to pay people, right? Right. And I think that I think that maybe Arnold's wedding kind of coincided with this pretty nicely as well. <laughs> but they're talking to him like, do you, do you feel like this is a hindrance? He's like, no, it's not a hindrance. It's an absolute blessing because you can go and you can look at what's working and you can edit all of this stuff together because the whole point is you take that footage that you've done, you put it all together like it's the movie, and then you go show it to the guys with the money. Yeah. And they go, okay, we'll give wow, you more money great. to Let's, finish yeah. this picture and so you can not only go and create a product that's going to get you more funding you also can go back and fix all your mistakes and know what you need to refilm so they've got this multi-week break that they have that he can put together what he's got that works take out what doesn't work and figure out how to fix it all and most importantly get more money one of the difficulties i heard some of the production people mention is when they're shooting in the jungle this is not a set this is actual mexican jungle right and it's hot, and there's bugs, and there's snakes. Yes. And one of the things that they said that you never really would think, it's never flat. Right. You're always standing askew. Yep. And so that really makes it easy for injuries, and it's just never very restful. Right. Okay, I've got a little tidbit I want to mention. I thought this was interesting. Shane Black is seen reading a comic book in the jungle, and it's a Sergeant Rock comic book. Yes. Which was interesting because McTiernan said at the time, Arnold Schwarzenegger was supposed to star in a movie about Sergeant Rock, which if you're a kid in the 80s, you remember it as kind of like the other G.I. Joe. And so Arnold Schwarzenegger brought all these comic books to read Mm -hmm. because he's studying up on the part of Sergeant Rock. Obviously, that never happened, but Shane Black was like, hey, can I read some of your comic books? Right. And they film him reading some of the Sergeant Rock comic books. Okay, I don't want to get away from these movies without at least touching on the composers. I think that the music, especially for Predator, is a key factor, right? Sure. So before I get there, let me talk about RoboCop. RoboCop's got a really unique style. It's very, like, it's, it's one of the subtle soundtracks. It's not one that grabs you, but it does a really good job of carrying the story along. It's definitely there. But the guy, the composer for RoboCop is this guy named Basil Polidorius, right? Okay. Have you heard of him? No, I haven't. Well, you would think that you would have because he was also the composer for Conan the Barbarian, Red Dawn, Iron Eagle, The Hunt for Red October, Free Willy, Starship Troopers, and Les I mean, Miserables. I mean, he's... <laughs> He's been around. He's won Emmys. He's he's a pretty accomplished guy. So wow. it's, he's one of those guys that I love when we do these things that I'm like, oh, I'm introduced to this guy that I've never really heard of before, but why haven't I? He should be one of those guys. He's an award-winning composer of some of the greatest movies of the 80s and 90s. I am glad that I now know who he is. Wow. I, I Basil mean, Polidorius. Okay. Les Miserables. That's, a, uh, that's an impressive lineup, man. Yeah. And it's not like those are movies I've never seen. I mean, those are big-time movies. Right. So then my question to you is, do you know who the composer is for Predator? I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Mr. Alan Silvestri. Yeah. Hot off of Back to the Future, we've got Alan Silvestri. And when you know it's him, you're like, oh, well, of course it is. Right. Because it has all of his standard tricks. I mean, it's just, if Alan Silvestri did not score this movie, I don't think we'd be talking about it today. Really? I really, really think that. I mean, because, I mean, simply you've got a 
army blow em up movie mm-hmm. followed by a predator hunt, but it's not some big intricate plot, right? I mean, there's no... Sure. It's it's not super strong. Like, it's kind of Top Gun, right? It's just a very simple plot line. Right. But when you throw his score in there that's got these big horn blasts, the strings that have got the staccato rhythms in them, you get the big timpani roll, you get the... I mean, it's that music that takes this movie up to the unforgettable level. The Predator theme, I think, is a, it's a great uh, suspense theme. Yeah, and what's crazy is they didn't release it for like 20 years. I mean, it was like... Uh, why did they do I, that? I don't it know. Makes any, not making and sense. when they did release it, it sold out in a day. Right. I mean, it's just... It is crazy that this soundtrack did not get more credit than it did. It's definitely deserving because it is so strong. And in every Predator movie that they've done since then, they've used it. I mean, he was the composer for Predator 2. Sure. Which, by the way, there's another interesting connection because we've got who are who's our hero in Predator Two? Danny Glover. Danny Glover from Lethal Weapon. And the other guy, you got Bill Paxton, who is in Aliens. And you've, you've got, got the blonde, <laughs> the blonde you, bomb. You've got you've got Mr. Gary Busey. Oh, that's exactly right. Who is Mr. Joshua in yes, Lethal Weapon? Yes, right, he was. Yeah. Wow, that is big time. Hey, you know, we, we talked in our Blade Runner episode how there's connective tissue between Blade Runner, Aliens, Terminator, RoboCop, mm-hmm. The Abyss. I think it's so fun to think that these are all in the same universe. Yeah, man. If we could get like a whole series with all these guys together, I think it'd be fantastic. Oh, my gosh. So have you got some interesting tidbits that you'd like I to share? I have a few tidbits that I want to share. Hit me. Okay? Yep. Now, this one blew me away. In Sacramento, California, a robbery suspect fled into a darkened movie theater to escape police. He became so engrossed in RoboCop, which was playing on the screen, Uh he failed to notice that the police came in and had taken over the movie theater. When they flipped the lights on, all he could do was surrender. Dead or alive, you're coming (laughs) with me. RoboCop was submitted to the MPAA 12 times before it got an R rating. It was rated X 11 times. Wow. How about that? Too violent. Very, very violent. I mean, there's there's one brief movie scene at the very beginning. Very beginning, yep. That's it. The rape scene, like the attempted rape scene, was pretty... Cartoony. Okay. (laughs) I thought... You did, oh, was that scary? For a kid my age, that was a little, a little intense. Yeah, I mean, he goes up under her dress with a knife, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess so. Okay. The three, or excuse me, the four prime directives of RoboCop. Yes. Okay, I want to talk about those for just a second. Okay. Number one, serve the public trust. Yes. Number two, protect the innocent. Yes. Number three, uphold the law. Number four... Classified. ...was classified. Yep. But we learn later that any attempt to arrest a senior officer at OCP results in shutdown, which... I thought it would have been more effective instead of acting like you're having a seizure to just freeze. That's a minor thing with me. But these are taken from Isaac Asimov's Three Laws on Robotics, okay? Isaac Asimov, the guy who lived in Central Park, the guy that was pissed at the Ghostbusters for right. filming. The greatest sci-fi writer of all time, arguably. Exactly. Yes, yes, I am familiar. I think it's disgusting. But these are his three laws of robotics, okay? Okay. The first law was that a robot couldn't hurt a human being or through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. The second law was that a robot had to obey orders given it by human beings, provided that didn't conflict with the first law. And the third law was that a robot had to 
uh, protect its own existence, except where that would conflict with the first two laws. Have you seen the KFC commercials that RoboCop is in? I have not seen them. I said that to you today. I know. I'm sorry. I was kind of in the middle of something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're missing a treat because RoboCop had Peter Weller in the suit doing commercials for KFC. Your Kentucky Fried Chicken is delicious. What's the secret recipe? If I told you, I'd have to kill you. Ha 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 ha. You're going to take the family package that are alive. (laughs) Waste makes haste. For time is fleeting. The precinct in Dallas used for filming in RoboCop is the same precinct that Lee Harvey Oswald was taken to after shooting John F. Kennedy. Oh, the one he was taken out of where he got shot by Jack Ruby? Exactly. Wow. Kind of famous. You may have heard of it. You may have heard of it. <laughs> one thing we have to talk about is the religious imagery of RoboCop. Yeah, so Paul Verhoeven, he mentions that he wanted to do a Christ dying on the cross part in his movie, right? Yes. And so obviously that's what we get when we have when we have the murder of Murphy, right? I mean, he's outstretched. It, I mean, he's very Jesus being murdered by the Romans. It, it's very very it's strong. It's a crucifixion of Murphy. Right, with shotguns. Yes. <laughs> right. And interesting, and I pointed this out to you that it happens again. You know, you have death and resurrection because he comes back as RoboCop. Right. Then even as RoboCop, when we see him and he's confronting, when he's confronting Boddicker out in the kind of sewer area, he looks like he's walking on the water. That was all done intentionally and that blew me away. Right. And then they drop the junk, you right. know, the giant metal bars on top of him and he dies again. Except that this time, instead of him being pierced, he pierces the other guy. <laughs> he does, that's true. Right? And he's he's resurrected once again and he comes back to comes back to confront Dick Jones after that. So he says what Paul Verhoeven says is the first one is the historical death of Jesus on the cross. The second one is the American Jesus. It's Jesus with a shotgun. Yeah. Right? Which And he points out a biblical verse. He's like, you know, Jesus says, go sell your cloak and buy a sword. Well, that's what he does. He comes back with a sword. It's interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting take. One other thing I was going to mention to you on RoboCop. Yeah. The owners of the house in Dallas where Bob Morton is killed, they were thrilled that there was a movie that was going to happen inside their house until they realized that it was hookers, cocaine, and murder. They had reservations. They shot it anyway. But I thought that was interesting. But they didn't actually blow up their house. No, they did not. They did blow up a lot of stuff, though, in this movie. They did. Yeah. That gas station. Yeah. Before we talk Final Judgment, there's one other thing I was going to mention. Yeah. RoboCop has RoboCop 2. RoboCop 3, it had a cartoon series. It kind of got diluted after this R-rated gore fest. Yeah. Predator has had Predator, Predator 2, Predator vs. Alien. All of these have got continually worse. Yeah. Did we, and we talked about Prey. We talked about Prey. It's one that's coming up. And there's been talk for a while about a RoboCop Returns that disregards basically everything that happened after RoboCop 1 and treats it like that's the beginning point is the end of RoboCop 1. They've gone through a couple of directors and it's kind of, it seems to me it might be in development hell at this point, but I'm hopeful. Are we ready to get to the chopper? And get do to the chopper! Okay, everybody, we've got a very special Shirley Showcase. Today we're hearing from Jeff Johnson, one of the co-hosts of the Film by Podcast, and he is going to talk about his thoughts on RoboCop versus Predator. 
Hello, Shirley fans. This is Jeff Johnson from A Film By Podcast, and I'm going to have me some fun because today we are discussing two of my favorite movies from 1987, Predator and Robocop. First, let's set the chopper down in Central America, where Arnold Schwarzenegger is leading a powerhouse group of 1980s muscle deep into the jungles on a CIA-sponsored rescue mission. After a quick firefight and some quality catchphrases, the real threat emerges when a seven-foot, highly skilled alien with advanced weaponry begins hunting the team for sport. The final battle between Dutch and the Predator is an intense display of hand-to-hand -hand combat, from the first punch thrown to the explosive finale. Now back on the streets of old Detroit, the threat is no less dangerous, with the city's crime rate out of control and a police department on the brink of strike. Enter Alex Murphy on his first day tragically and horrifically executed, only to be resurrected as OCP's RoboCop, the answer to cleaning up the streets. Scream Queen Nancy Allen proves she can pack a punch as she helps RoboCop take down everybody from street-level thugs to corporate scumbags. So what happens when these two titans of 1987 face off? Well, I think when the smoke clears, you'll see Arnold Schwarzenegger standing triumphantly, much the same way he did at the end of Predator. Robocop is clever for its ability to create an immersive experience with the news-breaking segments and the commercials, but it tends to lean a little too much on the hyper-violence to sell what should already be an incredible story. And that takes a little bit of fun out of it. And while it's fun to watch Arnold Schwarzenegger fight what he refers to as one ugly mother of an alien. The real fun is watching him stand shoulder to shoulder and fight alongside Hollywood tough guys like Bill Duke, Jesse the Body Ventura, Sonny Landham, and Carl Weathers. It's like watching the 1987 edition of The Expendables, and that's why it gets my pick. D, Jason, I ain't got time to bleed, but I always got time for a Shirley Showcase. So thanks for listening, and we'll talk again soon. I love it when you give Jeff an invitation like this because he really comes with the full 100 mile an hour fastball. One of my favorite Shirley showcases of all time is when Jeff did the Top Gun soundtrack Shirley showcase. If you haven't heard that, go back and listen. Super funny, super clever, super insightful. And that's what you get over at Film By Podcast. Just great stuff from them. Jeff, thanks again, buddy. We will see you down the line. Jeff, thank you for your cooperation. Okay, guys. Time for final judgment. I'm going to go ahead and serve it up to you, my friend. You oh, get to go first. Your move, creep. <laughs> my move, creep? Yeah. Okay. These movies are interesting because I did not see them, either one of these, in the theater. Mm -hmm. Okay, these are HBO movies for me. Yeah. And I think at the time I saw Predator first and I saw RoboCop kind of in pieces. Mm -hmm. And when I saw RoboCop, I didn't understand the satire. I didn't understand the sort of over-the-top goofiness. I didn't like the TV show, but I did like the character a lot. I thought it was a super iconic character. I think both movies have 80s iconic characters. For me, though, when I watch Predator... I think it's an interesting movie because I'm watching a special forces movie that collides with aliens. And for me, that movie works better. I choose Predator. And I still love Robocop, but for me, it's all the way Predator, no question. Slam dunk, spike the football, Predator. Okay. So... How could you not vote for Arnold with his gigantic biceps <laughs> in 1987? You need to get to the chopper! <laughs> Your move, creep!
Okay, so nostalgia is a big part of your opinion on this one. It is. There's no question about right. it. Right. So I will tell you that I saw RoboCop beginning to end back in the 80s. It took me a long time to see Predator. I think it was probably 90s or 2000s before I saw Predator really? the first time. Really? Okay. When I rewatched it again, I had remembered the end wrong. I thought at the end that that the Predator set off his little self-destruct thing and it killed Dutch. I thought, and I thought, wow. Yeah. So, upon the rewatching, let me just say, neither one of these movies is perfect, right? Sure. They're both awesome. They're both awesome. They're hulking, testosterone shooting guns. Yes. Awesome, for sure. But they've also got problems. They've both got problems. Okay. When it was in... When it was, I was watching Predator, and Caleb was marveling at all of the explosions, I was chuckling to myself. I'm just like, this is just absurd how many bullets and bombs are going off right now. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Compared to RoboCop? Right. And so then I rewatched RoboCop. I'm like, okay, there's a lot of big explosions, a lot of bullets in this one too, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, But for me, again, it's just like you. It's the nostalgia thing, except that my nostalgia is with RoboCop. I kind of I like the storyline better with RoboCop. Probably largely influenced by that I saw it back then and loved it back then. But I just felt like there was more of a story. There was more going on with Murphy and his remembering and what it means to be a man versus being a robot. And then this the surprise that the leader of the corporation is the guy who's behind the bad guys. I just, it was to me always a much more impactful movie, plus the special effects. Just freaking awesome. <laughs> so I gotta go, Robocop, man. Sorry, spiking football. It's Robocop all the way for me. Thank you for your cooperation. I'll buy that for a dollar. Okay, interesting. So, I'm Predator, you're Robocop. We wanna hear from you guys. Which one do you choose? Somebody's gotta be the rubber match here because. We're tied. Yeah, got to get it. We got to get a tiebreaker. So you guys tell us what you think, guys. Be sure and if you haven't subscribed to our Patreon page, do that. If you're not ready to do that yet, leave us a five star rating and put a review in there. If you put in the review, get to the choppa or dead or alive, you're coming with me. Yes, that would be a opportunity for you to win a specially engraved, custom made Ozarka tumbler cup with the Shirley Podcast logo and your name. So be sure and do that. Hey, guys, take some time to do this because we love sending out these cups. So if you enter five-star review, you get a good chance to win one of these cups. So, guys, be sure to hit that follow button, hit that subscribe button on whatever your podcast app is because next week we are bringing you two monumental (laughs) failures from 1987. We're going to have Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, versus Jaws 4, Jaws the Revenge, trying to determine not which one is the best, but which one is the worst. It's going to be tough. It is a tough It is a tough choice on which one of those stinkers stinks more. We are also inviting our good buddies, Jeff and Brad, from the A Film By podcast to help us break down and dissect these two atrocities. Yeah. Be sure and tune in for that. Excuse me. I have to go. Somewhere there is a crime happening.